I mean, I think everything eventually happens for a reason. Mm. Um, and like, I think the biggest thing that I learned in my career was just patience mm. and like really, really understanding that like life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Um, and I always say that I always try and use that in every aspect of my life, just like trying not to look too far ahead, even though it's very natural. And of course we do that. Mm. Um, but it's, and it's just one day at a time, you know, there's going to be something that comes out of this. Like people just have to find it within themselves. Players have to understand whether they really have that passion or not. And, you know, you kind of, you learn about yourself in difficult situations. You learn who you are, you learn what you want in life. Welcome to the Inside Game with your host, Dr. Julie Amato. Hey everyone, welcome to the Inside Game podcast. I'm Julie Amato, sports psychologist. I have the awesome privilege of working with college and professional athletes on their mental wellness and mindset. And so that's what this podcast is all about. This week's conversation is with Jackie Jamelos. Jackie's story is incredible. Uh, so I really don't want to give away too much here, but let's just say she has overcome a lot in order to pursue her dream of playing professional basketball. She just finished the 2020 WNBA season playing for the Washington Mystics, and she is currently playing professionally in Turkey. This conversation with Jackie just totally blew me away. She is raw and honest and flat out the epitome of passion and persistence and resilience and joy. Let's dive right into this conversation with Jackie Jamelos. Jackie, how are you? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great uh, in Pennsylvania while you're in uh, Turkey. Yeah, I'm in Kayseri, Turkey, a very um, boring city, but nonetheless, it's Turkey. It's a really good country, um, good basketball, and that's why I'm here. So, yeah, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> You've been around the world, friend. Yes, I have. This is my eighth season overseas. Um, my first year I was in Athens, Greece. Um, second year I was in a small city in the Umbria region in Italy. And then my third season I was in Salamanca, Spain, which is like more the north near Madrid. And then my um, fourth, fifth and sixth season I was in Italy, Naples for two years, Venice for one year. And then last year back to Greece. And then now this year in Turkey. <laughs> oh my God. You yeah. Like I'm a little bit jealous. I, I'm a lot jealous. Let me. Like, <laughs> yeah. Number one for the European travel. Um, but yeah, you make a living playing basketball. Like that's rad. I know. I know. It's like it's the best job in the world. I tell everyone that. That's why I'm like, yeah, I've had all these knee surgeries, but I'm like, why am I going to give it up? This is literally like, you yeah. can't ask for a better life. Um, eight months out of the year, I'm living in a different country, an amazing country at that. Um, you know, just kind of learning the culture, trying to indulge in the culture, eat different food, experience different people, um, just learn the ways of living out here. It's been super amazing. And I think just like kind of my niche in my basketball career is playing here in Europe. Um, and I also play here as a European player. So I have, I have dual citizenship, um, which is really cool. Um, so I'm, I'm able to you know, not be seen here as an American, uh, which makes like, you know, you're like, considered more valuable quotation marks. Oh my God. Um, 
yeah and it's it's just been a really fun ride and I enjoy it a lot so well I I spoke with you a few minutes before I pressed the record button but I in that time, I mean, I think it's important to point out that like, I've literally never met you before. And this is our first like conversation, but yeah. I've learned about you a little bit. Just, you know, you've become known in the, in the basketball world for a variety of reasons. Um, and so, you know, in having this podcast and trying to inspire, you know, young people or athletes um, who are dealing with a variety of things, I was like, oh man, I got to talk to this woman. Um <laughs> because you know right now we're talking about like how awesome your life is which like 100% like sign me up it sounds cool um but for those people who've never met or heard of you um it might be kind of fun to talk about like your journey of how you got here yeah for sure yeah um so you're a California girl yeah California born and raised stopped in California oh my um high school there and then um committed to UConn was going to play in the University of Connecticut but then uh decided that was a little too far from home and didn't quite want to make that move yeah um, as I got a little bit older and then I narrowed it down to the California schools Cal UCLA USC chose USC best decision of my life I think it's the best university in the world but I'm biased obviously right right Um, (laughs) but I was there I was there six years I um so the last game of my senior year in high school is when I tore my ACL for the first time um my senior we were always like nationally ranked really good program um senior year was probably like um the least like best team that I had in the three years it was kind of like just me (laughs) so I had a lot (laughs) yeah I had a lot of responsibilities uh that season but um so the last game of my senior year in high school we were in a playoff game um it was like a NorCal championship and that's when I tore my ACL for the first time Mm. um so that was in that happened in March um and then you know I was supposed to go to USC that you know basically that next summer yeah um So we decided as a staff, as my family and myself, that I was going to take that first year and have a redshirt season. So I wouldn't play that year. I would go to SC. Their doctors did my surgery. I went through their physical therapists and everything for my rehab, you know, so I would be in really good care. Um, So we did that. And um, I rehabbed that whole first year uh, as a redshirt player. And then basically the same thing continued to happen over and over again. I did it. In addition, more times. Oh, so um, painful. <clears throat> yeah, so I only actually played in 57 games in my college career. So it was like a very limited college basketball career for me. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe this is a different way of saying it that it wasn't the best team that you had your senior year, but I was looking at your stats and it was like 39 points a game. Your senior <laughs> it's like 39 points a game. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was a lot of responsibility. I, um, um, but, and then like, you know, points became such a part of my senior year. I, I was starting to break California records and yeah. uh, I surpassed Diana Taurasi in the all-time scoring in California. So that was like super monumental in my career. Cause she's my all-time favorite player. Yeah. Um, and it was just like, that just kind of became what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just like, okay, my responsibility is I have to drop 40 tonight. Like, that's just what it is in order for us to win. 
and it just became a part of my game and just, you know, how, how things went. Yeah, no, totally. And, you know, I mentioned not having met you until now, but trust me, I did some research here. And one of my (laughs) main people that I had to go to was my pal, Lindsay Gottlieb, because I kept reading about you, Jackie, like, oh, this is going to be the next coming of Diana Taurasi and like all that pressure and expectation around you because you were dropping like 39 points a game and you're just had a really smooth game and all this stuff. And Lindsay will tell me how it is. She's a basketball IQ person. She's an expert. Yeah. And I said, do you know this Jackie Jamalis? Like, you know, I'm thinking about she was coaching at Cal at the time when you were at USC. I'm like, surely she would remember you. I'm like, did you recruit her at all? And she started to tell me the story of how you came to their team camp, but you'd been recruited um, already. You had been committed at, at UConn. And um, I was like, like, was she as good as ever? Like these articles say like, oh, she was going to be the next day. And she was like, Julie, yes. Like she was like her game was beautiful to watch. She could score from anywhere. Like I am a huge fan of hers. Um, oh, she had nothing yeah. but amazing things to say about you it's as really- a basketball player and a person. Oh, wow. Thank you. That's really nice. Yeah. Lindsay's, she's a super coach, super person. So yeah, the feeling is definitely mutual. I wish I had her jump in on the call. And if I had, what she would say is that there was a time where you visited the team camp, but you were already committed at UConn and that you called her at some point, Uh texted her and you were having some second thoughts because you were going to miss home and you weren't sure what to do. And she was like, oh my God, I'm definitely not getting in the way of anything, Gino here. Like, I'm definitely <laughs> not going to you know, try to sway this kid in any way. And she's like, but I'm an assistant coach at Cal and this is the top recruit in the country. And she's like, I almost like crashed the car when, when she called and said she was having second thoughts. And she's like, I don't know what to do. And- yeah, yeah. That's so funny. She, yeah, she's amazing. I It was su- such a weird recruiting process for me because you know, after I, I committed to UConn when I was 15, I was so young. Yeah. And uh, I think that, I think they said that I was the youngest commit to ever uh, commit there. Um, so it was just like, you know, every like, young player, they want to play for Gino Ariema. They want to play for UConn. Yeah. Um, and when he called me literally on a yacht sitting with Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird and Swin Cash, oh. I'm, and, I'm, and I'm on speakerphone, I'm talking to all of them. Yeah. And he's like, He's like, I want you, I want you to be at the University of Connecticut. I want you to play for my team. I want you to be on this yacht with me in five years from now. And I'm like, I'm this 15-year-old kid. What the hell am I gonna say to Gino? Sign you know? up. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, coach, like I this is my dream. This is all I want. I I I want to play for you. I want to play for UConn. And I remember running outside, I was in my parents' room talking on the phone with him and all these legends, you know? Yeah. And I run outside to my parents, I'm like, mom, dad, I just committed to UConn, you know, and, and they just like, everyone freaked out. And it was just like this whole thing. Um, but I was just too young. And, and even, even to make the decision to decommit and then stay in California, like I was also young to make that decision too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I did. And I just remember the three schools. I mean, I, Stanford liked me too, but my grades weren't good enough to go to Stanford. So I was like, I'm not even going to fucking waste my time with Stanford. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't, I, I was one of those kids that just like, I was all basketball, 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 basketball. Yeah. And it was just like, I'm like, let me just get grades in order to go to school. And like, that's yeah. cool. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's just the raw, honest truth. I probably shouldn't yeah. say that so like bluntly, but whatever. Um, and yeah, so like Stanford was out for me. 
but those three schools, I just remember contacting, I'm like, Hey, like I'm back on, like, I'm back on the market, you know, and and it's just such a story with all three schools because they have a very similar like reaction. They're like, wait, what the fuck? Like what's going (laughs) on? Yeah. 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 And I think like, I don't know when I walked into SC's offices and like, um, I walked into their office and I, and I actually saw Kai first. Kai was the first person that I saw. And she like, I like said, Hey, um, um, my name is Jackie Jamalis. I'm, um, I'm here. I want to talk to, uh, Mark track and she didn't know who I was. So then I go, I'm just like cruising around there, coach track and the whole staff come running out. And he's like, yeah, I just about fired Kai because she didn't know who you were. (laughs) And it was crap for that later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was so (laughs) funny. Like, I just like, we talk about those stories till this day. Um, but obviously I didn't know that Lindsay Gottlieb story. I didn't know she was like driving and was like, wait, what's she almost fuck? wrecked her vehicle. Um, <laughs> she was literally like, Julia, I almost crashed my car because I'm an assistant. And she said, you know, Joanne was the head coach at the time, Joanne Boyle. And she yeah. was kind of the Pied Piper at some of these AAU events. Like she had candy and like people would come talk to her. She's like the new <laughs> Cal coach. And she's like some of Jackie's teammates and stuff would talk to her. So everyone was pretty shocked when you were back on the market. And um, I think she, they thought that you were going to go to Cal. She's like, we were like popping the champagne bottle. We thought Jackie was coming. Um, I, you know, I was yeah. so close to committing to Cal and it was such a fucked up situation. And so unfortunate because I just remember like after my visit with SC, they completely just like won me over yeah. And I had told Cal before going on my unofficial, I was like, look, I'm 90% sure that I want to go to Cal. I really like the program. I really like the coaching staff. Um, and then I went to SC and it was just like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And I just remember calling Coach Boyle and I was like uh, so emotional about it. She was emotional and I was just apologizing. I'm like, I'm so sorry. You know, I was so young. I was so indecisive. Uh-huh. You're so easily persuaded at that age. Yeah anyways like you know it's just yeah it's a lot but I knew for sure when I went to UCLA I was like nope (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then I went to Cal and I was like god I really like it here I like coach boy I like coach Gottlieb Mm -hmm. um very appealing school was close to Stockton it was close to my hometown Mm. um and then I went to SC and I'm like this is family like this this feels right so I was like I'm sorry coach boy Well, let me tell you, it says a lot about both you and the Cal staff that um, Lindsay has nothing but love for you. Like in spite of that, you know, she's a grown up, she's a big girl and she roots for you and you've got a fan in her. And that says a lot about you. Obviously you carry yourself well and you're a solid person. Um, But I don't want to obviously gloss over the the main thing to talk about with you. And I, I want to talk about it because selfishly, I do think people who I would pass this podcast on to a lot from you in terms of going through all those ACL injuries. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also aware like, holy crap, that was a lot of trauma for you. Um, But so you, you tear the ACL, which, you know, that's not an uncommon injury in basketball, unfortunately, especially for female players. Unfortunately, I know, but then you have to, you know, you red shirt. So it's like, okay, you know, you're probably thinking like, I'll be back. No problem. Um, yeah. or, or is that what you're thinking? I don't know. Like, did that mess with you mentally being out? Um, I think it, it was the first time in my career where I wasn't able to play. I had never had an ankle sprain. I'd never had anything, you know, and it was just like, I was this 
you know, I was just player. I was just this player that was in the gym, like five to six hours a day. I grew up playing with guys and it was just, it was my life. Everything around my childhood, my, my upbringing was basketball Hmm. and all the time and dedication that I put into that. But it was, it was truly a passion, you know, and a love for the game for sure. There was nowhere else I'd I'd rather be. Hmm. Um, So I think that it was more so mentally like taxing just the fact that I wasn't able to play. And for the first time in my life, I had to watch basketball from the sidelines. Yeah. Um, and it was like that grueling process of every day having to go to physical therapy. Um, every day, my physical therapist not allowing me to do this or to do that. I would, I would have to go sit up and watch. I would have to go upstairs and watch practice. And I would go, you know, shoot around on the sidelines. And maybe I would bend my knee too much, or maybe I would jump a little bit too high. And I would just, you know, get snatched up and told to go sit down. It was like, that for me was the, the hardest part mentally yeah. having to deal with that. Um, and I was young still, you know, I, I was 17, I think my freshman year in college. So I was still very young minded. Um, I was a kid. I didn't know any better. So I'm like, you know, fuck rehab, like fuck physical therapy. This is bullshit. I don't care about this. I want to play basketball. So right. I don't think that at that age, I understood the severity of how important it is um, that, that whole rehab process. And I was still eating the bullshit that I was eating in high school, the McDonald's, you know, all the fast food restaurants, like that's how I grew up eating. Like, and so I was still doing that at SC. So I gained a ton of weight. I gained like 25 pounds, like not the freshman 15, not the good 25. Yeah. yeah. It was just like, it was a shit show, you know? And If if you talk to Kai, Kai could tell you. So I didn't really understand the severity of like nutrition and putting, Mm -hmm. you know, the right things in my body and all this stuff. So mentally that first year was more like, like kind of waking up and like saying, okay, like if I continue to go about this the way that I am, I am going to re-injure myself. I am going to have another serious injury. Um, But I don't think that really clicked until like, you know, the, the third or fourth tear. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like you're being a little hard on yourself here in that, (laughs) um, to expect to know all those things at that age is, is a lot. Um, I think the way you describe yourself being so invested in basketball, like it's a huge part of your identity, right? I mean, it's Mm -hmm. in some ways the people who make it to be number one in the country at anything, it's because they've made it (laughs) their life. Right. Right. So now that's been taken away from you and you're indulging in some McDonald's and you're (laughs) feeling pissed (laughs) and angry, you know, you're fired up and um, you know, I'm not sure that that's what caused your next tear. You come back. I mean, you come back after that and you're trying to have a sophomore year and like, did you even make it, you didn't make it to a game until. So preseason started. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was a simple three on three preseason workout. I went up, um, I I drove to the left, came down wrong or came down on Haley Dunham's foot or something. Yeah. And I I retore that same, that same leg. And Um, I just remember coach track just started screaming, like literally screaming. And he was just so like, because, you know, when you tear your ACL, when you go down, like for me, I knew, I knew again that that was the same. So it was like, right away. I'm like, this is it. It happened again. Um, 
and I was, I just started like screaming, you know, and I was just like, I slammed, I slammed my hand on the ground and I was just like, fuck, like not again, you know, it was just so dramatic. Um, and I think that's the first moment where I kind of had like a mental like lapse and was just saying to myself, like, you know, this, this can't be, this can't be right. Like this can't be good. This is the second time. Um, you know, so I think that's when I started to have some doubts, I guess you could say, or like mm-hmm. questions. I think that first year was more like, I still felt like I was untouchable and I still was going to come back and be right. the number one player in the country. Yeah. Uh, but then when I, when I went down for that second time, I think it was a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. And so like you do the whole boring, grueling year long rehab again to come back junior year only to have the same thing happen. Same shit. Yeah. Pre-season, ah. it was October. So now it was a little bit longer. So, um, it was five on five, like team practice. We had like one or two hours per week of a team practice. Mm-hmm. So we did an individual like five on five. I did a simple movement going to my right. Um, and I went down on the other knee. So it's a mental mind fuck at that point. Cause I'm like, yeah. this is literally God telling me like, right. stop, playing, stop playing. Like you can't keep doing this to yourself. So I was like, I, you know, I, I think like maybe that first day I was like in this depression where I'm like, am I going to stop playing? Is this it for me? Like, should yeah. I, should I throw in the towel? And then it would always just be like, there would be a switch that would turn on in my head. And I would just be like, um, like, no, I'm, I'm going to come back from this. I can do it. Like, I know I can do it again. Like I need to think more short-term versus long-term. I see how my body reacted after the two, I was on my way to getting back in shape. I was starting to play better. And then it was like, so I know it's possible. I was, I just always had that like ounce of hope in my mind or that, like that eagerness or that fight to say, no, like, I want to get back on the stage. I want to be in the WNBA. That's where I belong. Um, So it was, it was a very short time period where I was questioning whether I would play still or not. Um, Were people discouraging you? Like, like, Hey, like three surgeries now, uh, maybe this just ain't it. So I think after that third one is when I started to get the, um, the input from the physical therapists and the doctors and even my family. Uh, and that was really detrimental to me. It was when my dad called me because he's my biggest fan. Yeah. Um, is when my dad called me and he was choking up, you know, and he was just like, I don't want to see you go through this anymore. I don't want this. Right. I don't want this to be your life. I don't want to have to see you like this. I, yeah. Jack, like, I really want you to get your degree. Uh, and I want you to figure out what you want to do. Like, I want you to have this plan B. And I just remember I got so mad at him. I got pissed off at him. I started yelling at him and I was just like, how are you going to be the one to tell me this? Like, you're supposed to be my ride or die, my biggest fan, you know, it's just, and I got, I just remember just getting pissed off at him. And I was like, don't ever tell me that again. Uh, Like, I need you to support me. I need you to be my rock. Like you need to be the person behind me, whatever I want to do. Like you have to be that person for me. Um, But that I put him in a really hard position um mm-hmm. so after that third surgery um eight months into my rehab I started feeling something really like just off in my knee and I'm like like what's going on like why do I why do I feel like this and so at the time of my college career they were using allografts which is taking 
the ACL or, or maybe a, an Achilles tendon or some kind of tendon from somebody else's body, putting it in your body, because this was the, this was like the test during this time. Got so it. all five of my surgeries, all five of my ACL surgeries were allographs okay. and fast forward. Now they don't do allographs anymore. Oh, they don't? Like, oh, Jesus. A, it was a test that failed. And I was like the fucking oh. guinea pig. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Dang. Oh yeah. Well, when I found this out, I was devastated. And I found out like two or three years ago. And like, you know, some of the doctors were telling me like, yeah, no one does allographs anymore. Like they've been known to fail so much. So I was like, oh, great. Like, you know, I was at like the best, one of the best universities in the world with the best football, one of the best football programs, like treated by all the best, you know, surgeons and blah, 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 whatever. Um, long story short, it, and like, they don't do that anymore. So after that third sur surgery, eight months into my rehab, something fell off. I told John Meyer, my physical therapist, he said, okay, well, let's go get an MRI. Let's make sure everything is okay. In the MRI, um, he said, it's normal for us not to be able to see the graft so clearly because you have inflammation in your knee. Hmm. So I'm like, okay. So he was like, but what we're going to do, we're going to go in, we're going to scope your knee, do an hmm. arthritis arthroscopy scope your knee make sure everything is okay clean it out and and move on you know and he was like 90% sure everything is okay don't worry he was like but 10% it's not okay if we go in and your ACL is not there do you want us to repair it and I'm like well yeah I don't want to have to go in for another surgery right. like in a week like right. I don't want you to put me under anesthesia a week after yeah, again. So like, yeah, if for some bizarre reason, my ACL is not there, let's do it. So Tina Charles um, was visiting me. Kylie McLaren from UConn was visiting me. Devin A. Hampton from Cal was visiting me. Brittany Raven from Texas was, was visiting me. There were all four of them came to see me and stay at my apartment in LA. So they were there this weekend when I was supposed to go in for this, you know, very minor surgery. It was supposed to be like a 45 minute surgery. It was at 12 o'clock. Um, so I go in at 12 o'clock. I'm like, all right, let's do this. Let's get it over with. So I can be with my friends. Like, I just want to be with them. I want to, you know, chill. So I go in and I look, I, I wake up, I look at the clock and it's four o'clock and I'm like, I, you know, I'm out of it cause I'm under the anesthesia and I'm like, why is it four o'clock? Like what's going on? And Tina and Kylie and Kylie came up to me. Um, and they are just bawling their eyes out just crying Ugh. and and it was just so sad and the doctor came up to me the nurse came up to me they're like um you know we uh, unfortunately like your the graft that they used in your for your ACL in the last surgery like your body rejected it so it actually dissolved in my leg which mm. is it's insane and it happens to like 10 10 of people or something like that at this time like it was a very low percentage so the graft dissolved in my leg, which meant that they had to redo it. Yeah. So it was like, so it was like eight months into that surgery for nothing. They had to redo the whole, the whole ACL graft again. So that was like my fourth intrusive, um, you know, orthopedic like surgery that I had to do. Yeah. Um, that was just a mind fuck. So devastating, but like somehow I convinced myself in my head. I'm like, I didn't tear my ACL. I, there wasn't the movement that I did. It was right, like, right. So it's the graft's fault. You know, it's the right. doctor's fault. Like it wasn't me. Right. So I like programmed myself to just say, okay, like 
fine. Like, let's just restart this. Let's do it. Let's do it all over again. I want to get through this. Um, and like, you know, I want to try again. So just like, I don't know. I guess I was a little fucking crazy too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there had to be dark days, obviously. Um, but I think what it sounds like to me is your, your vision of what you wanted was just so crystal clear and there wasn't going to be anything that was going to hold you back. Is what it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it, but yeah. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. Like you, you look back on things and you know, you think about like decisions and stuff and I'm going to pay for a lot of, for these decisions, you know, later on in my, in my life, in my career with my knees and stuff, which I am now I'm paying for it. Is that right? Okay. Um, but it's like, I, I still like the journey and, and everything that happened and how everything went down. I wouldn't change anything. Hmm. That, I mean, I love that you said that because I actually feel like you mean it. Like, yeah, I guess when I was thinking about talking with you, I, I was thinking, well, I could be talking to this person who's like really bitter that they didn't become the next Diana Taurasi and like this well-known like face of the WNBA, which is what was kind of projected for you. Um, mm -hmm. You seem genuinely not bitter that that didn't unfold, but I'm guessing was. the process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely was. But like I said, like a few years ago is when I kind of like accepted, you know, everything. And I just, I kind of put away the idea of, okay, I'm going to be the best player in the world, the best women's basketball player in the world. Like this idea that I, that I thought that was very realistic at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, but I kind of just set that aside and I just said, look how many people that I've touched, look how many people that I've helped, look how many little girls that have reached out to me and how many lives that I was able to like, uh, inspire in this way. Yeah. And, and I just said, like, it's bigger than basketball, you know, it's bigger than, than playing. And it was, it meant so much more to me to be able to have this and to, um, you know, just like, I guess, kind of be the poster child of this injury in women's basketball. It is. And it's like, that's why I say I would never, if I could do it all over again, I like, I would do it all over again. Yeah. I mean, if you had never been, I mean, do you ever go back to thinking like, what if I had never, ever gotten hurt? Like what would things, how would they have turned out differently? Or do you try not to go down that path? No, I mean, it's natural. It's like, mm. it's human nature. Of course I think about it. Um, you know, I think about, yeah, I see, I see Diana Taurasi, I see Sue Bird, I see uh, all these elite level players. And I'm like, you know, all the time I think about it. Like I was mentioned in those, in those names at one point. Um, and that was like such a, that was my life. Like that was the direction I was headed toward. I was, you know, but it, it just wasn't what it was supposed to be for me. And it was just supposed to be something completely different. Um, and like, I'm okay with it, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've done the work to be okay with it. It sounds like over time with, you know, a lot of conversations with family and, and yeah. friends and just putting one foot in front of the other and, you know, trying to notice the things you're grateful for. I mean, that kind of shines through, even when I look at like your social media posts, like a couple days. So I've become a fan, you know, of you and your, your story is like super inspiring. Right. Um, I saw, um, you had posted something a few days ago about like waking up to the Muslim prayer or something. Where oh, the Muslim prayer. Yeah. The, on Twitter. Yeah. 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 It's incredible. Like uh, the experiences that I get from playing in different parts of the world, 
Um, you know, and just like, like being here in Turkey, I'm in a completely different place, like no other in my room, exactly where I'm at. And you hear this Muslim prayer that goes off like six times a day. And then I like look outside of my window and I see people, you know, with their rugs laid down on the ground and they're praying. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, there's actually players in our league that, um, some of the players during prayer time, even if it's in a game, they have to leave the game and they have to go pray. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's such a different world and I get to be a part of this and I get to experience it and I get to learn so many different things. Um, and I think that it's just made me not only a better basketball player, being able to play out here and translate my European game to the WNBA game and vice versa. Yeah. It's so beneficial to my playing career, but it's just made me such a more well-rounded person. Yeah. Um, and just like living through different cultures and seeing so many different things. It's just been, it's, I mean, it's amazing that, and that's because of basketball. I know basketball's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, it's the, it's the greatest job in the world. That's why I'm like no. anything to keep playing. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, yeah, but there has to be a, there has to be a, you know, a time where I have to listen to my body at some point and it's, you know, I can't, I can't keep putting myself through health. It's going to be really, really bad for me. At some point, you know, life is like, there's more to life than basketball. And the little bit older that I've gotten is the more I've realized that sometimes like you just have to like, listen to your body. It doesn't mean that you gave up or it doesn't mean that, you know, you didn't try or like you didn't overcome or whatever. Um, but there's going to come a time where I'm just going to have to allow myself um, to go into that next chapter of my life, but be very happy and content with what I had. Yeah. Uh, and, and I do feel like I'm at a good point, you know, where I've, I've done just about everything on my basketball bucket list of like things that I've really wanted to do. Um, and I've had a successful career despite everything. So yeah. when it's time, I just have to, you know, be open to that. I get it. You know, it's interesting. Um, right now, I think so many athletes are facing, okay, I won't, I won't minimize what you went through to say it's something similar, but something similar where they're facing like their careers without sport, right. With the coronavirus, the COVID pandemic, and, you know, people are kind of facing this idea of being without sport and, as you mentioned, when you're younger, especially, you know, if you're a division one athlete or, you know, a college athlete in general, it's like, it is a big part of your life. And now there are so many, I mean, it's like a nationwide loss of seasons and sports and uncertainty around whether it's going to go forward. It's, it's a little bit like the psychology of a season ending injury, you know, without the rehab, it's just like, I 100% agree. I think it's a, it's a very like relatable situation. Yeah feeling a loss of purpose, um, mm -hmm. and no motivation. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it's real, you know, we're like quarantine and lockdown and stuff and like having to stay motivated without having a gym, without having access to facilities that you're used to having, you know, and like trying to stay motivated and trying to get ready for the WNBA season. Like I, I had a gym, you know, I had a workout facility where I was preparing myself for the WNBA season, but I know a lot of girls didn't, they were in their garages, yeah. you know, doing body weight workouts. And it's like, hmm. you know, it's just, 
that was mentally like exhausting for everybody. And like, then like the risk of going into the season and not really prepared physically so you can get hurt. There's going to be injuries because like you haven't been able to play or out of shape. Um, so there were so many different factors mentally that went in because of COVID. Yeah. And then like just the, the worry of like being in the bubble and catching COVID and then everyone getting COVID. And then, oh, you know, it's just like, it was a, it was a mental like mind fuck. And it was just so many different factors played into that bubble that we had to really, really think about and consider before going into it. I know. I know it's, it's crazy. And I think what's not, what's not crazy is like, there's always going to be something, right? There's always going to be something in life. It's a torn ACL, it's COVID. I mean, there's always going to be stuff we have to deal with, but it does feel like right now it was kind of a lot, a lot at once. Um, and in your journey, I mean, look, you had all those surgeries, you end up coming out of it. You actually put together at least one college season, a good enough one to get drafted. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know, and I know how hard it is to make those rosters. It's crazy. Like if you're not drafted in the first round, you know, with one of the first 12 picks, like the chances are kind of slim. And I don't know, it just seems to me like you've done a really nice job embracing, you know, that niche being that niche, like European player and kind of like assimilating over there and just kind of making a, a good go of your career. And then I don't know if this is true or not. This is me watching from afar. It's like, you keep putting together good seasons. You keep doing the work, you keep following your passion. And then instead of being obsessed around, I'm going to be in the WNBA, like it just kind of came as a natural flow of like what you were already doing. Like, is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely accurate. Okay. Like it was never like, you know, I had been cut by multiple teams in the WNBA. Yeah. Um, So like I had my, my fair share of letdowns in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the more of the beginning of my career, it was more like detrimental for me because all I was trying to do was make a WNBA roster. I wanted to prove everybody wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to show everyone that I could still make my dream of being in the WNBA come true. So it was like, okay, in the beginning, it was like everything I was doing, I was working toward the WNBA. I was working to make that roster. And then in 2015, when I made the Chicago Sky, it was like, finally, you know, just like finally everything that I did and everyone that told me I couldn't do it, I did it. So it was like, that for me was so fulfilling, but it was like, it wasn't enough because I felt like I, that's where I belonged. And I felt like I deserved to play. And I felt like I wanted to play and I wanted to improve and I wanted to become a starter. Um, so it was like, I always wanted more just naturally as a competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, and then after that point, like you said, like, it was a smooth sale. The, the WNBA was just more of like icing on the cake. If it came, it came. If it didn't, it didn't. Um, because I, I had built myself such a great career out here. Um, and mind you, we get paid better out here anyways. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a better, it's a better situation here regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, I'm one of those American players that love Europe. I love living here. A lot of players hate it. Really? A lot of players, wow. Yeah. A lot of players hate it. They don't like the people they don't, they're not open, you know, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the culture. They're not open to the food. They're not open to anything like, and they can't really acclimate themselves into, you know, the lifestyle mm-hmm. here. Um, but for me, fortunately, like, I mean, my dad's from Greece, so yeah, I, I have a European parent, you know? So it's like, maybe that is why, like, I love it out here so much. Maybe, maybe you've got the genetic gift, you know, from dad, but like, 
I also think, I mean, look, this is me making assumptions, just talking to you. You got like lots of tattoos. You yes, seem like a person who, you know, <laughs> like you're, you're, you seem like kind of a more free spirit, open-minded, like yeah. you just take life, you know, as it comes, California, like, you know, just a little bit more like, more chill. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, which is awesome. Which is awesome. Like I hear your, your life, you know, and kind of like each year you talked about a different country and, and my dad actually is from Italy. So when you said Italy, I was like, Oh, like the food, the people, you know? Yeah. Oh, so I played in Naples for two years. I mean, it's, I, I, yeah, that was, that was the, it's the easiest language to pick up on, I yeah. think. Um, and I was, I was close to a lot of Italians there. So I, that, I really tried to learn that language and it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I mean, manja is all I heard growing up from my grandmother, which means eat. 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 Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm eating. I'm eating. Like, <laughs> yeah, there are force feeders there too. Like, <laughs> there are force feeders. <laughs> yeah. You like, I mean, a dinner, like, you'll be there for three or four hours. Yeah. It's yeah. so intense. But to your point, Americans don't want any part of that. They want, like, hey, like, where's the, you know, looking around, looking for the check. And when I visited Italy, like, just embracing this idea of, like, hey, the meals could be three hours. You know, you yeah, especially need to be. Yeah, just Americans like are too impatient. Yeah, just to, because we're always on the go. You know, we're oh. always working. We always have, you know, something to worry about. Like it's just so so fast paced and like trying mm -hmm. to get ahead and trying to work overtime and trying to get the next up position or like you know whatever it is. That's like that's just the American mindset in Europe, especially in Italy. It's very relaxed, very laid back. They enjoy life. They enjoy their three, four hour dinner of just like, you know, talking, drinking wine, oh. eating amazing food. And it's like, you go there and how do you not want this? Like, how, how could you not? you not love this? I know. Oh my God. You're getting get post COVID. I got to buy a ticket and get back. Um, oh yeah. You got like Italy's, it's my favorite country there in Greece by far. Like uh, amazing. I, like, I would look there. It looks so good. Yeah. And the food in Greece is uh, unreal as well. Yeah. Um, it's been super fun talking to you. I have to say, like, even though things didn't go, you know, the path that you thought it was going to go for you, like, you know, like I said, I, I have done a little research and talking even just with Zowie or with, you know, Coach Lindsay or Rashonda Gray, people who know you are just so impressed, you know, with what you've done. Like you said, it's inspired a lot of people. You've earned the respect of your peers big time, you know, even just kind of watching you, you know, then get picked up by the mystics this year and getting in there. I just think people are just totally rooting for you. Um, yeah. And your passion is just so evident and clear. And I think, you know, you kind of persisting and persevering through all this has, has gotten you in some ways I don't want to say more respect because I'm sure if you had not gone through this, you would have gotten respect as a player, but I, I think it's just, it's hard not to root for you, basically. Thank you. That's really nice. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It means it's more special this way. It means more to me. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like hearing that, you know, than like, I don't know, than being like a, a, the top caliber play, player, you know? So it's just like, yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, you've got the benefit of hindsight now. I'm sure going through it wasn't a picnic. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't. And I know a lot of the athletes now who are really struggling to find the silver lining with like their seasons being canceled in the spring and just uncertainty about all, all everything. I think people are really struggling to find like, you know, what's going to be the lesson here, you know? Yeah. Is yeah. there going to be something, you know, that is all this going to be for nothing? Um, 
like, do you have any thoughts or advice, you know, for athletes who are kind of in that struggle right now? I mean, I think everything eventually happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I think the biggest thing that I learned in my career was just patience Mm -hmm. and like really, really understanding that like life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Um, And I always say that I always try and use that in every aspect of my life, just like trying not to look too far ahead, even though it's very natural. And of course we do that. but and it's just one day at a time, you know, there's going to be something that comes out of this. Like people just have to find it within themselves. Players have to understand whether they really have that passion or not. And, you know, you kind of, you learn about yourself in difficult situations. You learn who you are, you learn what you want in life. Um, you know, and I think like also like your tribe, the people that you're around, you have to be around you know, people that want the same things as you, people that are inspiring, people that are encouraging you to do the right thing. And, you know, maybe you don't want to do it some days, but just having, um, you know, that camaraderie around you, I think is so important. Um, And that's something that I've learned throughout my years as well, just like having those good people around me that are, you know, have the same visions as me and that want good things for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's, it's gonna, COVID's gonna end at some point. Uh, mm-hmm. things are going to go back to some somewhat normalcy at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's a time where people really will figure out who they are and what they really want in life. So it, it's a good moment to to dig deep and figure that out. I know. I know. Trust me as a psychologist, that's what I keep telling them. Dig deep. Yeah. Figure yourself out. It's not what you wanted to be doing right now. You'd rather be sort of blissfully just thinking about your sport, but it, it yeah. is kind of forcing people to, to dig a little deeper and like, and, and maybe they will discover a plan B, you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe they will realize that maybe basketball is not something that they want to do. And, and it can open up a lot of new doors that you wouldn't have got if this didn't happen. So there's so many things that could happen um just stay the course you know yeah yeah so like what's your plan b or your purpose after basketball Did, have you kind of honed in on that or is that still a question mark what, what's up with um, that um I mean I've honed in on it and definitely still a question mark definitely really scary it's a gray area yeah um I don't know if I would have a passion in coaching um mm-hmm. but it is something that obviously it's it's a door that will be open for me I think Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also being in the WNBA bubble this summer and connecting with so many coaches and so many people on staff, I felt like I was connecting more with coaching staffs versus players. Cause I am older now, you know, and I'm like, I enjoy, I enjoy the coaching staff and like, right. you know, the, the Dobos and like everyone right, around right. more so than I enjoy being around the players. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, could I see myself being in this field, like working in women's basketball, working in the WNBA, working in college basketball, I think that I would be really good at it. I think that it would be, you know, a situation that I could actually see myself in and maybe liking it. I don't know if I would have a passion in it. It's something that like, I need to be done with basketball before I, I need to really let go of the game before I could be a coach. That's fair. Um, So it, but that is something um, like the corporate sports world, like Nike or Adidas and sports marketing, something like this, I could see myself in just because I'm, I, I'm an Adidas athlete this, as of this year. Um, and I, and you know, I have close friends that work in sports marketing. I think it's a good field for me. Um, it's more like 
fits my style. You don't have to be at a desk from nine to five. You travel a lot. You're in the gym a lot. You know, you're around basketball. You're around, like if you're in the AAU circuit or if you're in the high school circuit, the college circuit, you're constantly like traveling. Um, and you know, you're representing a global company like that. It's, it's, it's exciting. I think that could be something that I would maybe want to get into, but like, it's all still a question mark. I don't know where I would go. Like if I stopped playing in two weeks, what would I do? You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, so I never had to really try yet. Right. 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 So, you've still been able to make a career of this right now. Yeah. Yeah. So when all this stops, like then I'm going to have to really like figure it out and like start networking and figure out my life. Did I just stress you out, Jackie? I mean, I, honestly, <laughs> this stresses me out every day. So it's like, I, this is the reality of the situation. Right. You know what I mean? But it's like, yeah, eventually I'm going to have to, like, I'm going to have to be an adult and have a real job. Yeah, no, I get that. And you know what? And that's a very different future than it is for the men. And that's a whole different podcast. Okay. Well, they want to do a segment on your tattoos, but I didn't want to take it too far. Oh my God, that could be next. That could be like episode six or seven down the line. Let me know. Cause I'm telling you this and my leg, it's a whole story. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I mean, a majority, not, not all of them have some like relevance to all this shit, but a lot of them do. I regret not asking. I immediately well, regret it. My, fa- my favorite one, it's right, it's right under my scar and it's a quote and it's, it's the magic of risking everything for a dream that nobody sees but you. Ooh. Ooh. Did you make yeah. that up? Or is that like a, look, um, no, one of, one of my old coaches, um, sent me this, like after I tore my ACL, like the third or fourth time. And it was like this ESPN article came out and he had sent me the, like a picture of me with this quote. And I was like, Oh my fucking God, I love this. I have to get this tatted. And so I did, and I did it right under my scar. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, look, it's been super fun talking to you. I, I want to be sensitive to your, your time as well. Um, well, thank you. It was fun. I had, this was a good, good podcast interview. I feel like it was, I think. we. Yeah. Thanks, Julie. It was All very right. nice to see you. Good talking to you. You too. Bye. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the inside game. Please remember to like subscribe and comment to support the podcast.